0: Chapter 17 of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty Chris. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter 17. In earliest Greece, to thee with partial choice, the grief full muse addressed her infant tongue the maids and matrons on her awful voice silent and pale in wild amazement hung collins ode to fear the wounds of vivaldi and of his servant were pronounced by the benedictine who had examined and dressed them to be not dangerous but those of one of the ruffians were declared doubtful some few of the brothers displayed much compassion and kindness towards the prisoners but the greater part seemed fearful of expressing any degree of sympathy for persons who had fallen within the cognizance of the holy office and even kept aloof from the chamber in which they were confined to this self-restriction however they were not long subjected for vivaldi and paolo were compelled to begin their journey as soon as some short rest had sufficiently revived them they were placed in the same carriage but the presence of two officers prevented all interchange of conjecture as to the destination of elena and with respect to the immediate occasion of their misfortune Paolo indeed now and then hazarded a surmise and did not scruple to affirm that the abbess of san stefano was their chief enemy that the carmelite friars who had overtaken them on the road were her agents and that, having traced their route, they had given intelligence where Vivaldi and Elena might be found. I guessed we never should escape the abbess, said Paolo, though I would not disturb you, Signor mio, nor the lady Elena, by saying so. But your abbesses are as cunning as inquisitors. And are so fond of governing that they had rather like them send a man to the devil than to send him nowhere vivaldi gave paolo a significant look which was meant to repress his imprudent loquacity and then sunk again into silence and the abstractions of deep grief the officers meanwhile never spoke but were observant of all that paolo said who perceived their watchfulness but because he despised them as spies he thoughtlessly despised them also as enemies and was so far from concealing opinions which they might repeat to his prejudice that he had a pride in exaggerating them and in daring the worst which the exasperated tempers of these men shut up in the same carriage with him and compelled to hear whatever he chose to say against the institution to which they belonged could affect whenever vivaldi recalled from his abstractions by some bold assertion endeavoured to check his imprudence paolo was contented to solace his conscience instead of protecting himself by saying it is their own fault they would thrust themselves into my company let them have enough of it and if ever they take me before their reverences the inquisitors they shall have enough for two. i will play up such a tune in the inquisition as is not heard there every day i will jingle all the bells on their fools caps and tell them a little honest truth if they make me smart for it ever so Vivaldi aroused once more, and seriously alarmed for the consequences which Honest Paolo might be drawing upon himself, now insisted on his silence and was obeyed. They travelled during the whole night, stopping only to change horses. At every post-house, Vivaldi looked for a carriage that might enclose Elena, but none appeared, nor any found of wheels told him that she followed with the morning light he perceived the dome of saint peter appearing faintly over the plains that surrounded rome and he understood for the first time that he was going to the prisons of the inquisition in that city the travellers descended upon Campania and then rested for a few hours at a small town on its borders when they again set forward vivaldi perceived that the guard was changed the officer who had remained with them in the apartment of the inn only appearing among the new faces which surrounded him the dress and manners of these men differed considerably from those of the other their conduct was more temperate but their countenances expressed a darker cruelty mingled with a sly demureness and a solemn self-importance that announced them at once as belonging to the inquisition They were almost invariably silent, and when they did speak, it was only in a few sententious words. To the abounding questions of Paolo, and the few earnest entreaties of his master to be informed of the place of Elena's destination, they made not the least reply, and listened to all the flourishing speeches of the servant against inquisitors and the holy office with the most profound gravity." Vivaldi was struck with the circumstance of the guard being changed, and still more with the appearance of the party who now composed it. When he compared the manners of the late with those of the present guard, he thought he discovered in the first the mere ferocity of ruffians, but in the latter the principles of cunning and cruelty which seemed particularly to characterize inquisitors." He was inclined to believe that a stratagem had enthralled him, and that now for the first time he was in the custody of the Holy Office. It was near midnight when the prisoners entered the Porto de Papolo and found themselves in the midst of the carnival at Rome. The Corso through which they were obliged to pass was crowded with gay carriages and marks with processions of musicians, monks, and mountebanks was lighted up with innumerable flambeaux, and resounded with the heterogeneous rattling of the wheels, the music of serenaders, and the jokes and laughter of the revellers as they sportively threw about their sugar-plums. The heat of the weather made it necessary to have the windows of the coach open, and the prisoners therefore saw all that passed without it was a scene which contrasted cruelly with the feelings and circumstances of vivaldi torn as he was from her he most loved in dreadful uncertainty as to her fate and himself about to be brought before a tribunal whose mysterious and terrible proceedings appalled even the bravest spirits altogether this was one of the most striking examples which the checker-work of human life could show or human feelings endure vivaldi sickened as he looked upon the splendid crowd while the carriage made its way slowly with it but paolo as he gazed was reminded of the corso of naples such as it appeared at the time of carnival, and comparing the present scene with his native one he found fault with everything he beheld The dresses were tasteless, the equipages without splendor, the people without spirit. Yet such was the propensity of his heart to sympathize with whatever was gay, that for some moments he forgot that he was a prisoner on his way to the Inquisition, almost forgot that he was a Neapolitan, and while he exclaimed against the dullness of a Roman carnival, would have sprung through the carriage window to partake of its spirit if his fetters and his worries had not withheld him a deep sigh from vivaldi recalled his wandering imagination and when he noticed again the sorrow in his master's look all his lightly joyous spirits fled my maestro my dear maestro he said and knew not how to finish what he wished to express at that moment they passed the theatre of san carlo the doors of which were thronged with equipages where roman ladies and their gala habits courtiers in their fantastic dresses and makes of all descriptions were hastening to the opera in the midst of this gay bustle where the carriage was unable to proceed the officials of the inquisition looked on in solemn silence not a muscle of their features relaxing in sympathy or yielding a single wrinkle of the self-importance that lifted their brows and while they regarded with secret contempt those who could be thus lightly pleased the people in return more wisely perhaps regarded with contempt the proud moroseness that refused to partake of innocent pleasures because they were trifling, and shrunk from the countenances furrowed with the sternness of cruelty. But when their office was distinguished, part of the crowd pressed back from the carriage in affright, while another part advanced with curiosity, though as the majority retreated, space was left for the carriage to move on. After quitting the Corso, it proceeded for some miles through dark and deserted streets, where only here and there a lamp hung on high before the image of a saint shed its glimmering light and where a melancholy and universal silence prevailed at intervals indeed the moon as the clouds passed away shewed for a moment some of these mighty monuments of rome's eternal name those sacred ruins those gigantic skeletons which once enclosed a soul whose energies governed a world. Even Vivaldi could not behold with indifference the grandeur of these relics as the rays fell upon the hoary walls and columns, or pass among these scenes of ancient story without feeling a melancholy awe, a sacred enthusiasm that withdrew him from himself. But illusion was transient. His own misfortunes pressed too heavily upon him to be long unfelt, and his enthusiasm vanished like the moonlight. A returning gleam lighted up soon after the rude and extensive area which the carriage was crossing. It appeared from its desolation, and the ruins scattered distantly along its skirts to be part of the city entirely abandoned by the modern inhabitants to the relics of its former grandeur not even the shadow of a human being crossed the waste nor any building appeared which might be supposed to shelter one the deep tone of a bell however rolling on the silence of the night announced the haunts of man to be not far off and vivaldi perceived in the distance to which he was approaching an extent of lofty walls and towers that as far as the gloom would permit his eyes to penetrate bounded the horizon he judged these to be the prisons of the inquisition paolo pointed them out at the same moment ah Senor, he said despondingly that is the place what strength if my lord the marquise were he- but here to see where we are going ah he concluded with a deep sigh and sunk again into the state of apprehension and mute expectation, which he had suffered from the moment that he quitted the gorso. The carriage, having reached the walls, followed their bendings to a considerable extent. These walls, of immense height and strengthened by innumerable massy bulwarks, exhibited neither window or grate, but a vast and dreary blank, a small round tower only perched here and there upon the summit breaking their inanatony the prisoners passed what seemed to be the principal entrance from the grandeur of its portal and the gigantic loftiness of the towers that rose above it and soon after the carriage stopped at an archway in the walls strongly barricadoed one of the escort alighted and having struck upon the bars a folding door within was immediately opened and a man bearing a torch appeared behind the barricado, whose countenance as he looked through it might have been copied for the grim visaged comfortless despair of the poet no words were exchanged between him and the guard but on perceiving who were without he opened the iron gate and the prisoners having alighted passed with the two officials beneath the arch the guard followed with a torch they descended a flight of broad steps at the foot of which another iron gate admitted them to a kind of hall such however it at first appeared to vivaldi as his eyes glanced through its gloomy extent imperfectly ascertaining it by the lamp which hung from the centre of the roof no person appeared and a death-like silence prevailed for neither the officials nor the guard yet spoke nor did any distant sound contradict the notion that they were traversing in the chambers of the dead to vivaldi it occurred that this was one of the burial vaults of the victims who suffered in the inquisition and his whole frame thrilled with horror several avenues opening from the apartment seemed to lead to distant quarters of this immense fabric but still no footstep whispering along the pavement or voice murmuring through the arched roofs indicated it to be the residence of the living having entered one of the passages vivaldi perceived a person clothed in black and who bore a lighted taper crossing silently in the remote perspective and he understood too well from his habit that he was a member of this dreadful tribunal the sound of footsteps seemed to reach the stranger for he turned and then paused while the officers advanced they then made signs to each other and exchanged a few words which neither vivaldi or his servant could understand when the stranger pointing with his taper along another avenue passed away Vivaldi followed him with his eyes, till a door at the extremity of the passage opened, and he saw the inquisitor enter an apartment, whence a great light proceeded, and where several other figures, habited like himself, appeared waiting to receive him. The door immediately closed, and whether the imagination of Vivaldi was affected, or that the sounds were real, he thought, as it closed, he distinguished half stifled groans, as of a person in agony. The avenue through which the prisoners passed opened at length into an apartment gloomy like the first they had entered, but more extensive. The roof was supported by arches, and long arcades branched off from every side of the chamber, as from a central point, and were lost in the gloom which the rays of the small lamps suspended in each but feebly penetrated. They rested here, and a person soon after advanced who appeared to be the jailer into whose hands Vivaldi and Paolo were delivered. A few mysterious words having been exchanged, one of the officials crossed the hall and ascended a wide staircase, while the other, with the jailer and the guard, remained below, as if awaiting his return. A long interval elapsed during which the stillness of the place was sometimes interrupted by a closing door and at others by indistinct sounds which yet appeared to vivaldi like lamentations and exhorted groans inquisitors in their long black robes issued from time to time from the passages and crossed the hall to other avenues they eyed the prisoners with curiosity but without pity their visages with few exceptions seemed stamped with the characters of demons vivaldi could not look upon the grave cruelty or the ferocious impatience their countenances severely expressed without reading in them the fate of some fellow-creature the fate which these men seemed going even at this moment to confirm and as they passed with soundless steps he shrunk from observation as if their very looks possessed some supernatural power and could have struck death but he followed their fleeting features as they proceeded on their work of horror to where the last glimmering ray faded into darkness expecting to see other doors of other chambers open to receive them while meditating upon these horrors vivaldi lost every selfish consideration in astonishment and indignation of the sufferings which the frenzied wickedness of man prepares for man who even at the moment of infliction insults his victim with assertions of the justice and necessity of such procedure is this possible said vivaldi internally can this be in human nature can such horrible perversion of right be permitted can man who calls himself endowed with reason and immeasurably superior to every other created being argue with himself into the commission of such horrible folly such inveterate cruelty as exceeds all the acts of the most irrational and ferocious brute brutes do not deliberately slaughter their species it remains for man only man proud of his prerogative of reason and boasting of his sense of justice to unite the most terrible extremes of folly and wickedness vivaldi had been no stranger to the existence of this tribunal he had long understood the nature of the establishment and had often received particular accounts of its customs and laws but though he had believed before it was now only that conviction appeared to impress his understanding a new view of human nature seemed to burst at once upon his mind and he could not have experienced greater astonishment if this had been the first moment in which he had heard of the institution but when he thought of elena considered that she was in the power of this tribunal and that it was probable she was at this moment within the same dreadful walls grief indignation and despair irritated him almost to a frenzy he seemed suddenly animated with supernatural strength and ready to attempt impossibilities for her deliverance it was by a strong effort for self-command that he forbore bursting the bonds which held him and making a desperate attempt to seek her through the vast extent of these prisons reflection however had not so entirely forsaken him but that he saw the impossibility of succeeding in such an effort the moment he had conceived it and he forbore to rush upon the certain destruction to which it must have led his passions thus restrained seemed to become virtues and to display themselves in the energy of his courage and his fortitude his soul became stern and vigorous in despair and his manner and countenance assumed a calm dignity which seemed to awe, in some degree even his guards the pain of his wounds was no longer felt It appeared as if the strength of his intellectual self had subdued the infirmities of the body, and perhaps in these moments of elevation he could have endured the torture without shrinking. Paolo, meanwhile mute and grave, was watchful of all that passed. He observed the revolutions in his master's mind, with grief first, and then with surprise, but he could not imitate the noble fortitude which now gave weight and steadiness to vivaldi's thoughts and when he looked on the power and gloom around him and on the visages of the passing inquisitors he began to repent that he had so freely delivered his opinion to his tribunal in the presence of its agents and to perceive that if he played up the kind of tune he had threatened it would probably be the last he should ever be permitted to perform in this world at length the chief officer descended the staircase and immediately bade vivaldi follow him paolo was accompanying his master but was withheld by the guard and told he was to be disposed of in a different way this was the moment of his severest trial he declared he would not be separated from his master what did i demand to be brought here for he cried if it was not that i might go shares with the Signor in all his troubles this is not a place to come to for pleasure i warrant and i can promise ye gentlemen i would not have come within a hundred miles of you if it had not been for my master's sake the guards roughly interrupted him and were carrying him away when Vivaldi's commanding voice arrested them He returned to speak a few words of consolation to his faithful servant, and since they were to be separated, to take leave of him. Paolo embraced his knees, and while he wept, and his words were almost stifled by sobs, declared no force should drag him from his master while he had life, and repeatedly appealed to the guards with, What did I demand to be brought here for? Did ever anybody come here to seek pleasure what right have you to prevent my going shares with my master in his troubles we do not intend to deny you that pleasure friend replied one of the guards don't you then heaven bless you cried paolo springing from his knees and shaking the man by the hand with a violence that would nearly have dislocated the shoulder of a person less robust So come with us, added the guard, drawing him away from Vivaldi. Paolo now became outrageous, and struggling with the guards, burst from them, and again fell at the feet of his master, who raised and embraced him, endeavouring to prevail with him to submit quietly to what was inevitable, and to encourage him with hope. I trust that our separation will be short, said Vivaldi, and that we shall meet in happier circumstances, my innocence must soon appear. We shall never, never meet again, Signor mio, in this world, said Paolo, sobbing violently. So don't make me hope so. That old abbess knows what she is about too well to let us escape, or she would not have catched us up so cunningly as she did so what signifies innocence oh if my old lord the marquise did but know where we are vivaldi interrupted him and turning to the guard said i recommend my faithful servant to your compassion he is innocent it will some time, perhaps, be in my power to recompense you for any indulgence you may allow him, and I shall value it a thousand times more highly than any you could shew to myself. Farewell, Paolo, farewell. Officer, I am ready. Oh, stay, senor, for one moment, stay, said Paolo we can wait no longer said the guard and again drew paolo away who looking piteously after vivaldi alternately repeated farewell dear maestro farewell dear dear maestro and what did i demand to be brought here for what did i demand to be brought here for what was it for if not to go shares with my maestro till vivaldi was beyond the reach of sight and of hearing vivaldi having followed the officer up the staircase passed through the gallery to an antechamber where, being delivered into the custody of some persons in waiting, his conductor disappeared beyond a folding door that led to an inner apartments. Over this door was an inscription in Hebrew characters, traced in blood color. Dante's inscription on the entrance of the infernal regions would have been suitable to a place where every circumstance and feature seemed to say, Hope that comes to all comes not here. Vivaldi conjectured that in this chamber they were preparing for him the instruments which were to extort a confession, and though he knew little of the regular proceedings of this tribunal, he had always understood that the torture was inflicted upon the accused person till he made confession of the crime of which he was suspected. By such a mode of proceeding, the innocent were certain of suffering longer than the guilty, for as they had nothing to confess, the inquisitor mistaking innocence for obstinacy persevered in his inflictions and it frequently happened that he compelled the innocent to become criminal and assert a falsehood that they might be released from anguish which they could no longer sustain vivaldi considered this circumstance undauntedly every faculty of his soul was bent up to firmness and endurance he believed that he understood the extent of the charge which would be brought against him a charge as false as a specious confirmation of it would be terrible in its consequence both to elena and himself yet every art would be practised to bring him to an acknowledgment of having carried off a nun and he knew also that since the prosecutor and the witnesses are never confronted with the prisoner in cases of severe accusation and since their very names are concealed from him it would be scarcely possible for him to prove his innocence but he did not hesitate an instant whether to sacrifice himself for elena determining rather to expire beneath the merciless inflictions of the inquisitors than to assert a falsehood which must involve her in destruction the officer at length appeared and having beckoned vivaldi to advance uncovered his head and bared his arms he then led him forward through the folding door into the chamber having done which he immediately withdrew and the door which shut out hope closed after him Vivaldi found himself in a spacious apartment where only two persons were visible who were seated at a large table that occupied the centre of the room they were both habited in black the one who seemed by his piercing eye and extraordinary physiognomy to be an inquisitor wore on his head a kind of black turban which heightened the natural ferocity of his visage the other was uncovered and his arms bared to the elbows a book with some instruments of singular appearance lay before him Round the table were several unoccupied chairs, on the backs of which appeared figurative signs at the upper end of the apartment, a gigantic crucifix stretched nearly to the vaulted roof, and at the lower end, suspended from an arch in the wall, was a dark curtain. But whether it veiled a window or shrouded some object or person necessary to the designs of the Inquisitor, there were little means of judging." it was however suspended from an arch such as sometimes contains a casement or leads to a deep recess the inquisitor called on vivaldi to advance and when he had reached the table put a book into his hands and bade him swear to reveal the truth and keep forever secret whatever he might see or hear in the apartment vivaldi hesitated to obey so unqualified a command the inquisitor reminded him by a look not to be mistaken that he was absolute here but Vivaldi still hesitated shall i consent to my own condemnation said he to himself the malice of demons like these may convert the most innocent circumstances into matter of accusation for my destruction and i must answer whatever questions they choose to ask and shall i swear also to conceal whatever i may witness in this chamber when i know that the most diabolical cruelties are hourly practised here the inquisitor in a voice which would have made a heart less fortified than was vivaldi's tremble again commanded him to swear at the same time he made a signal to the person who sat at the opposite end of the table and who appeared to be an inferior officer Vivaldi was still silent, but he began to consider that, unconscious as he was of crime, it was scarcely possible for his words to be tortured into a self-accusation, and that, whatever he might witness, no retribution would be prevented, no evil withheld by the oath, which bound him to secrecy, since his most severe denunciation could avail nothing against the supreme power of this tribunal as he did not perceive any good which could arise from refusing the oath and saw much immediate evil from resistance he consented to receive it notwithstanding this when he put the book to his lips and uttered the tremendous vow prescribed to him hesitation and reluctance returned upon his mind and an icy coldness struck to his heart He was so much affected that circumstances apparently the most trivial had at this moment influence upon his imagination. As he accidentally threw his eyes upon the curtain, which he had observed before without emotion, and now thought it moved, he almost started in expectation of seeing some person, an inquisitor perhaps, as terrific as the one before him, or an accuser as malicious as Scadoni steal from behind it the inquisitor having administered the oath and the attendant having noted it in his book the examination began after demanding as is usual the names and titles of vivaldi and his family and his place of residence to which he fully replied the inquisitor asked whether he understood the nature of the accusation on which he had been arrested the order for my arrestation informed me replied vivaldi look to your words said the inquisitor and remember your oath what was the ground of accusation i understood said vivaldi that i was accused of having stolen a nun from her sanctuary a faint degree of surprise appeared on the brow of the inquisitor you confess it then he said after the pause of a moment and making a signal to the secretary, who immediately noted Vivaldi's words. I solemnly deny it, replied Vivaldi. The accusation is false and malicious. Remember the oath you have taken, replied the Inquisitor. Learn also that mercy is shewn to such as make full confession, but that the torture is applied to those who have the folly and obstinacy to withhold the truth if you torture me till i acknowledge the justice of this accusation said vivaldi i must expire under your inflictions for suffering never shall compel me to assert a falsehood it is not the truth which you seek it is not the guilty whom you punish the innocent having no crimes to confess are the victims of your cruelty or to escape from it become criminal and proclaim a lie recollect yourself said the inquisitor sternly you are not brought hither to accuse but to answer accusation you say you are innocent yet acknowledge yourself to be acquainted with the subject of the charge which is to be urged against you "'How could you know this but from the voice of conscience?' "'From the words of your own summons,' replied Vivaldi, "'and from those of your officials who arrested me.' "'How!' exclaimed the inquisitor. "'Note that!' pointing to the secretary. "'He says by the words of our summons. "'Now we know that you never read that summons. "'He says also by the words of our officials. "'It appears, then, he is ignorant that death would follow such a breach of confidence it is true i never did read the summons replied vivaldi and as true that i never asserted i did the friar who read it told of what it accused me and your officials confirmed the testimony no more of this equivocation said the inquisitor speak only to the question i will not suffer my assertions to be misrepresented replied vivaldi or my words to be perverted against myself i have sworn to speak the truth only since you believe i violate the oath and doubt my direct and simple words i will speak no more the inquisitor half rose from his chair and his countenance grew paler audacious heretic he said will you dispute insult and disobey the commands of our most holy tribunal you will be taught the consequence of your desperate impiety to the torture with him a stern smile was on the features of Vivaldi. his eyes were calmly fixed on the inquisitor and his attitude was undaunted and firm his courage and the cool contempt which his looks expressed seemed to touch his examiner who perceived that he had not a common mind to operate upon he abandoned, therefore, for the present, terrific measures, and resuming his usual manner, proceeded in the examination. "'Where were you arrested?' "'At the chapel of San Sebastian on the lake of Solano.' "'You are certain as to this?' asked the inquisitor. "'You are sure it was not at the village of Legano, on the road between Solano and Rome?' vivaldi while he confirmed his assertion recollected with some surprise that legano was the place where the guard had been changed and he mentioned the circumstance the inquisitor however proceeded in his questions without appearing to notice it was any person arrested with you you cannot be ignorant, replied Vivaldi, that Signora di Rosaba was seized at the same time upon the false charge of being a nun who had broken her vows and eloped from her convent, nor that Paolo Mendrico, my faithful servant, was also made a prisoner, upon what pretense he was arrested, I am utterly ignorant." the inquisitor remained for some moments in thoughtful silence and then inquired slightly concerning the family of Elena and her usual place of residence vivaldi fearful of making some assertion that might be prejudicial to her referred him to herself but the inquiry was repeated She is now within these walls, replied Vivaldi, hoping to learn from the manner of his examiner whether his fears were just, and can answer these questions better than myself. The inquisitor merely bade the notary write down her name, and then remained for a few moments meditating. At length he said, Do you know where you are? Vivaldi, smiling at the question, replied, I understand that I am in the prisons of the Inquisition at Rome. Do you know what are the crimes that subject persons to the cognizance of the Holy Office?" Vivaldi was silent. Your conscience informs you, and your silence confirms me. Let me admonish you once more to make a full confession of your guilt. Remember that this is a merciful tribunal, and choose favor to such acknowledge their crimes. Vivaldi smiled, but the Inquisitor proceeded. It does not resemble some severe yet just courts, where immediately execution follows the confession of a criminal. No, it is merciful, and though it punishes guilt, it never applies the torture, but in cases of necessity. When the obstinate silence of the prisoner requires such a measure, you see, therefore, what you may avoid— And what you may expect but if the prisoner has nothing to confess said vivaldi can your tortures make him guilty they may force a weak mind to be guilty of falsehood to escape present anguish a man may unwarily condemn himself to the death you will find that i am not such a one Young man, replied the Inquisitor, you will understand too soon that we never act upon such sure authority, and will wish too late that you had made an honest confession. Your silence cannot keep from us a knowledge of your offenses. We are in possession of facts, and your obstinacy can neither wrest from us the truth or pervert it. YOUR MOST SECRET OFFENSES ARE ALREADY WRITTEN ON THE TABLETS OF THE HOLY OFFICE. YOUR CONSCIENCE CANNOT REFLECT THEM MORE JUSTLY. TREMBLE, THEREFORE, AND REVERE. BUT UNDERSTAND THAT THOUGH WE HAVE SUFFICIENT PROOF OF YOUR GUILT, WE REQUIRE YOU TO CONFESS, AND THAT THE PUNISHMENT OF OBSTINACY IS AS CERTAIN AS THAT OF ANY OTHER OFFENSE. Vivaldi made no reply, and the inquisitor, after a momentary silence, added, Was you ever in the church of the Spirito Santo at Naples? Before I answer the question, said Vivaldi, I require the name of my accuser. You are to recollect that you have no right to demand anything in this place, observed the inquisitor, nor can you be ignorant that the name of the informer is always kept sacred from the knowledge of the accused. Who would venture to do his duty if his name was arbitrarily to be exposed to the vengeance of the criminal against whom he informs? It is only in a particular process that the accuser is brought forward. The names of the witnesses, demanded Vivaldi. The same justice conceals them also from the knowledge of the accused, replied the inquisitor. And is no justice left for the accused, said Vivaldi is he to be tried and condemned without being confronted with either his prosecutor or the witnesses your questions are too many said the inquisitor and your answers too few THE INFORMER IS NOT ALSO THE PROSECUTOR. THE HOLY OFFICE BEFORE WHICH THE INFORMATION IS LAID IS THE PROSECUTOR AND THE DISPENSER OF JUSTICE. ITS PUBLIC ACCUSER LAYS THE CIRCUMSTANCES AND THE TESTIMONIES OF THE WITNESSES BEFORE THE COURT. BUT TOO MUCH OF THIS. HOW, EXCLAIMED VIVALDI, IS THE TRIBUNAL AT ONCE THE PROSECUTOR, WITNESS, AND JUDGE? What can private malice wish for more than such a court of justice at which to arraign its enemy? The stiletto of the assassin is not so sure or so fatal to innocence. I now perceive that it avails me nothing to be guiltless. A single enemy is sufficient to accomplish my destruction. "'You have an enemy, then?' observed the Inquisitor. Vivaldi was too well convinced that he had one— but there was not sufficient proof as to the person of this enemy to justify him in asserting that it was scadoni the circumstance of elena having been arrested would have compelled him to suspect another person as being at least accessory to the designs of the confessor had not the credulity started in horror from the supposition that a mother's resentment could possibly betray her son into the prisons of the inquisition "'though his mother had exhibited a temper of remorseless cruelty "'towards a stranger who had interrupted her views for that son. "'You have an enemy, then,' repeated the inquisitor. "'That I am here sufficiently proves it,' replied Vivaldi. "'But I am so little any man's enemy that I know not who to call mine.' "'It is evident, then, that you have no enemy,' observed the subtle inquisitor." and that this accusation is brought against you by a respecter of truth and a faithful servant of the roman interest vivaldi was shocked to perceive the insidious art by which he had been betrayed into a declaration apparently so harmless and the cruel dexterity with which it had been turned against him a lofty and contemptuous silence was all that he opposed to the treachery of his examiner on whose countenance appeared a smile of triumph and self-congratulation—the life of a fellow-creature being, in his estimation, of no comparative importance with the self-applauses of successful art—the art, too, upon which he most valued himself—that of his profession. The Inquisitor proceeded. "'You persist, then, in withholding the truth?' he paused but vivaldi making no reply he resumed since it is evident from your own declaration that you have no enemy whom private resentment might have instigated to accuse you and from other circumstances which have occurred in your conduct that you are conscious of more than you have confessed it appears that the accusation which has been urged against you is not a malicious slander i exalt you therefore and once more conjure you by our holy faith to make an ingenuous confession of your offences and to save yourself from the means which must of necessity be enforced to obtain a confession before your trial commences i adjure you also to consider that by such open conduct only can mercy be won to soften the justice of this most righteous tribunal Vivaldi, perceiving that it was now necessary for him to reply, once more solemnly asserted his innocence of the crime alleged against him in the summons, and of the consciousness of any act which might lawfully subject him to the notice of the holy office. The inquisitor again demanded what was the crime alleged and Vivaldi, having repeated the accusation, he again bade the secretary note it. As he did watch, Vivaldi thought he perceived upon his features something of a malignant satisfaction for which he knew not how to account. When the secretary had finished, Vivaldi was ordered to subscribe his name and quality to the depositions, and he obeyed. The inquisitor then bade him consider of the admonition he had received and prepare to either to confess on the morrow or to undergo the question. As he concluded, he gave a signal, and the officer who had conducted Vivaldi into the chamber immediately appeared. You know your orders, said the inquisitor. Receive your prisoner and see that they are obeyed. The official bowed. And Vivaldi followed him from the apartment in melancholy silence. End of Chapter Seventeen. Reading by Marty Chris.